It's time for JT the Brick. Big boy radio. And we're going balls out. Are you with me on this? Do me a favor and surprise me today. Shot down the field. Wide open Adams. Has it at the 20. 10-yard line. Goodbye. Touchdown Raiders. You can't say they're rebuilding with Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, and Devontae. Down to five on the play clock. Gets the snap. Hands off to Jacob. Stutters to the right. Burst through the hole. 20. 25-30. He's off to the races. Here in Seattle, nobody's going to catch him. 25-20. 10. Ball game. JT the Brick. You don't bring in Jimmy Garoppolo if you're rebuilding. I want to go get a ring, get the silver and black back to where it should be. I am ready to go. Wake up this town. Did I miss anything? Call and let's see what you got. And now, woo, here's JT the Brick. All right, hour number two of the show on a busy day today. We just announced the Raiders radio all-time defensive line. If you'd like to contribute to what we said, if you disagree with any of it, please come in and call. And we'll see what you think. A lot of callers came in on this group. A, a really controversial group. I think the linebackers are going to be more controversial because people are going to want to go middle linebacker, edge linebacker, all this. I got to come up with eight, and I could use your help. So the rest of the show, I got a guest coming up here in a bit. He's going to call in, and then tomorrow when we come in here, we do the linebackers again. I also uh, talked with Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, today for podcast purposes and for our show here. On Raider Nation Radio, we'll have a chunk of that, a little bit of it coming up here. I'll play that on Friday in its entirety. I think it's going to be really good programming. Uh, for Raider fans, my all-time defensive line, Howie Long, Greg Townsend, Tom Keating, and Reggie Kinlaw. I put Tom Keating in, a player in the 60s, an AFL champion, uh, widely considered the greatest defensive tackle in the history of the AFL. And that's an important part of Raider history, and everybody I talk to, who I respect within the Raider organization, said, absolutely, Tom Keating. And you don't know Tom Keating, and I know you don't know Tom Keating, but we're talking about him. So I think that's important, and that's part of this. Also, uh, including Chester McLaughlin in there, I think either you either get Chester or you don't. We're not going to do a whole show on Chester. I think he was a great Raider. Uh, when we look at the Raiders, we lost Daryl Russell, Chester McLaughlin. Okay, the Raiders that we lost in life, big names. There's no doubt in my mind that Daryl Russell would have made this list if he wasn't suspended for over a season and a half for personal transgressions. He died in a car accident. He had a rocky road, but his first two years with the Raiders, I was there for it. It was brilliant. God, he was brilliant. He was a great defensive tackle. Lyle Alzado and John Matuzak are interesting to me. Matuzak, from what I've heard and talked to, one of the biggest characters in NFL history as an actor and as a good player, very good player but not super elite, not a gold jacket Hall of Famer. Reggie Kinlaw, I put on the first team because of the impact he had with the draft pick that he was drafted in the 12th round, 320th overall, two-time Super Bowl champ, 15 and 18, 6'2", 250. They had a double team him. So am I saying Reggie Kinlaw was a better player than Bill Pakel? I don't know. I think I'm going by the Super Bowl wins. Bill Pakel, Super Bowl 18. And uh, some of the other players that were under worthy consideration, man. Otis Sistrunk. How cool was it that we spent a couple of days talking about Otis from the University of Mars? Undrafted in 1972, Super Bowl XI champ. And the impact he had. He played in the greatest games of all time from 72 to 78 with the Super Bowl win. And he was great in the Super Bowl. So that's it. Howie Long and I think Greg Townsend were obvious. Greg Townsend is the all-time leading sack leader in Raider history. And Howie Long, 
maybe the most famous Raider defensive player, maybe of all time. We know Howie from TV and the impact he had as a player and a Hall of Famer. And what do you think about me including Mad Max on the second team all time? Too early? Or are you cool with it? I, I don't know. I'm, don't lock me up in Twitter jail, please. But I have Max on the second team all time because I think he's trending to be that player. I think what it's all said and done as we sit here in July of 2023, most people who can hear my voice would think that Max Crosby is going to end up as one of the all-time greats. And the show is today. Don't know where I'll be six, seven, eight years from now. So I wanted to get that in here. And I think it's fair to say as we're getting this thing rolling here. Now we're open for linebackers. As we go through the linebackers, I'm not going to be hardcore on the linebackers. I'm not going exclusive outside. I'm not going exclusive inside. I can't. I got to get eight guys and eight, that's it. And then maybe two or three honorable mentions so I could take it out to eight or 11. Is someone going to be offended that Gus Otto could be chosen over Matt Millen? I don't know. We've got to do the show. We've got to find out here. But I know both of those guys are probably going to make the list. As we take a look at this, it's time for the Raiders Radio All Time Raiders Team. The best of the best at every position. The greatest rated team of all time. The Raiders Radio All Time Raiders Team. Today's position linebackers. All right, so we're at the linebacker position. Thank you, Bobby, as we get going. I think we understand Ted Hendricks. I'm going to go through some bios tomorrow. Uh, So we're going to try to give this about 40 minutes here with the linebackers, your favorite rate of linebacker of all time. It should be easier because we haven't had many great linebackers in 20 years. So you got to go back to the great ones who played in the greatest era of the Raiders. And they should be pretty obvious to many. But there are going to be other players that maybe get by me. You know, Chris, who just called in, said Rolando McClain. No, but you can mention them. You can mention some of these linebackers who have been here, and that's part of the fun about this. Mention a linebacker that you saw play in their prime in Oakland or in L.A. that you don't think is an all-time great, but he should have his name heard on the flagship of the Raiders. I just did an event with Kirk Morrison. I do a lot of events with Kirk, and when I interview him in these chalk talks, he's got a great story. Dad's a season ticket holder. He's born in Oakland. Played for the Raiders, drafted by the Raiders, played very, really well on a team, a couple of teams that really struggled. I mentioned Bill Romanowski, one of my favorite Raider linebackers of all time. Bill Romanowski was a hell of a player for the Raiders. As you look at what he was able to do in a short period of time here, and then the icons that played, and no doubt about it, Phil Villapiano is one of my favorites and one of your favorites. So we're going to get to Foo at some point here and hopefully get him on. We just booked Reggie Kinlaw for tomorrow at 12.30. Reggie Kinlaw, the defensive tackle on the Raiders' all-time radio team. Looking forward to talking to him and educating you on Reggie Kinlaw. If you don't know him well, you'll find out tomorrow as we'll continue doing that. And then the Raiders' alumni department is helping me along the way, saying, who do you need, who do you want? And we said, you know, whatever, we got time. We got a couple of more weeks here before Raiders' training camp. Pretty quiet around the Raiders now, wouldn't you say? Vacation. Told you they were going on vacation for two or three weeks. Told you. It's quiet. Everybody's still knocking on my window. Coming up, where's Jimmy G? How's Jimmy G doing? I think he's doing well. I've saw him a few times. I think he's doing really well. Devontae's golfing a lot. He's going to uh, these parties, all these summer parties with his wife, living the dream. Golfing a lot, having fun. Everything seems to be great there. Max, 
Every time I talk to anybody, he's in the building. He's, he's in the building. He's sitting uh, right outside the octagon at UFC next to Dana White and the former president and other people, celebrities who were there. We know Max is doing everything right that he's supposed to be able to do. And then the depth of the cornerback position. What are we going to get from Nate Hobbs? What are we going to get from some of these other players? So Raider Nation, there are thousands of people listening to us, streaming the show, listening live, and it's group participation on the linebackers here. This isn't an exam. I'm not going to hold you to it, but we got to tell some stories here on some of the players that had the big impact in your life. And I seem to be going back to the 1967 AFL championship team. Many of those players that were able to gravitate and play in Super Bowl II in the loss to the Green Bay Packers, the 11 angry men and the impact that those players were able to have. And they're being included, and I'm real proud of that, that we're including those old-timers. Some are no longer with us anymore. Nick in Long Island as we move to the linebackers. A lot of Long Island action today. Hello, Nick. Hey, what's up, JT? How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. All right, so... Listen, yesterday I called, I threw Derek Burgess, Richard Seymour, Warren Sapp, and I feel like even just listening to the opening um, audio when we lead into this, it's, it's once a Raider, always a Raider. That's a big thing with this fan base. So I feel like guy comes on the team one, two, three years, that, that should count for something. And being in my late 30s, I look at the early 2000s, those four years with Gruden as like, those were my glory days, unfortunately. You know, if mm-hmm. Sarah Goose doesn't belly flop on Gannon, the tuck rule, if we're not facing Gruden in the Super Bowl, who knows how many Super Bowls we got. Maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. There's one player from that era a lot of people don't talk about, William Thomas. Mm-hmm. He had nine interceptions in two seasons as a Raider linebacker. I mean, that is, those are on some good teams, on some good defenses. And I think we're a little light on linebackers. Obviously, you can have Khalil Mack, Ted Hendricks, Matt Millen, Rod Martin. I think we got to throw William Thomas in the discussion. Those, those were two very elite years on two yeah. very good Raider teams. Look at you, man. You're going back to your youth. That's what I love about this promotion and what we're doing because we're trying to find players that played at a certain time and had an impact and played at a very important time, and that matters to you because that was the important time as you were watching football. That's very important to me. Yeah, and he was a great – those teams were great. That 2000 team – we hosted the AFC Championship game. That, that, that was the team. I think the Giants made the Super Bowl. They would have beaten the Giants senselessly. The Giants were not a very good team that year. The NFC kind of stunk back then. And those, it's a shame that we never got over the hump back then, whether it was the referees or a dirty play or obviously playing our former coach who knew our playbook And when we finally made the Super Bowl. It stinks, but it is what it is. That's, that's how it well, goes. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting you say that because I go back. Tony Saragusa also passed away like Daryl Russell and Chester McLaughlin, the players were talking about. I was at the game. I was in the owner's box with the owner when that play happened, and Saragusa fell on Gannon, and then the play with Anthony Dorsett biting on Shannon Sharp for that long touchdown, and I think the Raiders clearly would have easily won that Super Bowl. No doubt about it. There was a, isn't it amazing that the Raiders' AFC championship losses to a fan, everybody thinks they would have won the Super Bowl. That The AFC Championship game was the Super Bowl, and the Raiders lost many of them that could have led to six or seven total Super Bowls. Yeah, and that, that's, the, that's the other thing, too, about that era. It was everyone talks about the tuck rule. The tuck rule, we fell apart at the end of that season last year. We, we had to go to New England because of the losing streak at the end of the year that we lost the, we lost the first round five. We had to play the Jets. 
And then if we even win the New England game, we have to go and play Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh, which wouldn't have been an easy game because our defense wasn't very good that year. And then you would have had to play the St. Louis Rams in the Super Bowl, who at the time was scoring on everyone. So it's not – everyone always thinks the tuck rule is – it was the year before where we hosted that AFC Championship game, and then it was the crappy Giants with Terry Collins. Yeah. That, that game would have been over by halftime. That was our year, honestly, was that 2000 team. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate you checking in. Excellent phone call. One other player I want to mention that I had the pleasure, the pleasure of knowing with the Raiders, and he passed away, unfortunately, was Thomas Howard. Thomas Howard, who died in the car crash and the years that he had with the Raiders from 06 to 010, I was really getting to know him well. I really do. I have a heavy heart with him. He had 110 tackles, 88 so- solo tackles, and one deflection in 2006. And he was a very good player. And I just remember him playing, and when he passed away, how devastating it was. He went on to Cincinnati. He got a little bit of a contract and went on with them. But, you know, obviously the situation, number 53, and him passing away unexpectedly, that was a big one. And that's why we're mentioning his name. Raiders all-time team, the linebackers here as we continue on. Uh, Robert in Portland is up next on the Raiders all-time team. What do you think about the defensive line we announced and move on to the linebackers? Oh, I love you putting Keating in there. Uh, he was incredible. The Chiefs, uh, all those great games those teams had. The, the, he was always pegged as the biggest problem, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as far as the Chiefs were concerned, you know, their offensive line. At least that's what, you know, the interviews with those linemen, they said Keating was just, you know, he was just special. Uh, no, I think Greg Beaker, when you were down in San Diego, didn't you see him uh, during the tail end or when they played the Chargers? Didn't, didn't you watch Greg? Mm-hmm. Uh, one more time, I lost you for a second. You broke up. Uh, Greg Beaker? Yeah, Greg Beaker, great player. Great player with the Raiders, no doubt. When you were down in San Diego, didn't he? wasn't he with the, the Raiders about that time? Yeah, well, Greg, I got, I'll give you the exact years here on Greg Beaker in a second here, but... What do, you, what do you mean down in San Diego by that? When you were when you were living in the San Diego area. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, Greg Beaker played. Let me double check on the exact time he was drafted in 1993. Yeah, that's before I got into radio. I was living in San Diego. He was uh, 93 to 2001. Yeah, hell of a player. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, appreciate the call, Robert. Greg Beaker will be mentioned in this list. The problem for Greg Beaker on this list. The problem. For Greg Beekert here, there's, there's players who played in bigger games than Greg, but he had over 1,000 tackles. He had 1,093 tackles over there. He was an assistant coach with the team, and you know he played for the Los Angeles-Oakland Raiders from 93 to 2001 before going to the Vikings, and he played in a lot of games and was an impactful player, no doubt about that. He was not a highly decorated player, and that's the problem with Greg Beekert, and it's not a problem, but he just, Greg Beekert... You know, didn't have three interceptions in a Super Bowl like Rod Martin. Didn't make the defining goal line play against George Foreman like Phil Villapiano did in Super Bowl Eleven. Doesn't have a gold jacket like Ted Hendricks. So, you know, all of a sudden I'm starting to get into the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth linebacker. And where do you put Greg Beaker? He's one of the only good ones we've had in a long time. In a long time around here, which is why the team's got to get a little bit better when it comes to that. And I think Dave Ziegler understands that. I've talked to Dave Ziegler about the linebacker position and the evolution of that position and the type of player and athlete that is playing that position now and what the Raiders got to do. I think he's zeroed in on that. 
Raider O in San Diego. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, JT. I uh, just wanted to call in, quickly touch on Thomas Howard. You know, mm-hmm. I, I moved to San Diego in 05 from the Bay Area. And I remember uh, distinctly a game that he turned on its head down here against San Diego with an interception, took back for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, another solid memory is him taking one back against the Broncos to win a game when Jay Cutler was quarterbacking. You know, just a great player in that time. Um, other shout out, Kirk Morrison. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a man's man, always came and gave everything he had he to did. the team. Um, you know, great presence during that time. But my number one linebacker, without a doubt, in the time that I watched this play, Khalil Mack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is someone who watched Bill Romanowski, who watched uh, William Thomas, you know, awesome guys for their, you know, couple seasons with the Raiders. But Khalil, you know, he was drafted high. You kind of worry, hey, is this the one guy out of the top five or six that is not going to make it and everyone else mm-hmm. is going to be a Hall of Famer? But think of all the game-changing plays that he made. Um, he may have got lucky against the quarterback with the Broncos when he got his five sacks, but he made um, Cam Newton look like a fool in his prime yeah. and won a game that we could have lost that we couldn't afford to lose. And what a season he had. And I hope that Max has more game-changing plays this coming year. I've seen him make it the past year. I know we're talking about the linebackers, but uh, you know Khalil's up there for me as a pass rusher and linebacker. Thank you. Kilo Max, one of the greatest defensive players to ever play for the Raiders. No debate. Short period of time, short sample size. And I remember when Khalil held out, uh, I was the first person in media fact ever to meet him. They walked him into practice in Napa, and I walked right up to him, got a picture with him, and talked to him first. That was a big deal for me at the time. I thought I had an in with him. I went to college outside of Buffalo uh, when he wanted to when he wanted more money which he had the right to ask for he wanted 60 million in guarantees the Raiders weren't going to do it John Gruden was not going to do it 90 million dollar contract 60 million guaranteed and I was all for keeping him you know but I knew my though I was very open with that with coach Gruden publicly and privately because he knew I was a fan and I could talk to a lot of fans and that was a tough decision you're not a better team I remember saying on the radio you're not a better team if you're going to get rid of Khalil Mack. But the money, this was not Vegas at the time. The money at the time, the money's not like it is in Vegas now, and it was a tough decision to be made, and they made the decision. And I wish Khalil Mack would have stayed. I think Khalil Mack, and we've been fortunate because Khalil hasn't destroyed us, but he's played well. Max has played well against the Chargers. But Khalil Mack's still out there. He can change the game. He played well in Vegas when he played here last year. Khalil can play. And uh, I consider him a great, not friend, but he came up to me in London on the sideline of the London game, and I was working the sidelines of that game, and he came up to me in warm-ups and walked through the end zone and came up and gave me a big hug, and we talked. And I think the world to him. Khalil Mack will be in this group of eight linebackers, no debate. Khalil Mack was a great Raider. He loved the Raiders. It was a business decision, and you could look at it and evaluate that business decision as a fan. Most people... I'd say the majority of Raider fans wanted Khalil Mack to play his entire career here. It was a business decision. I don't think it was the best business decision at the time, but I understand what went into it when it came to the cap and how Coach Gruden, when he came here the second time, had to do what this team's doing now. They had to tear down the lineup and rebuild it because of the regime before and what they wanted to do. That's what happens a lot. From Gruden to McDaniels to Ziegler to Reggie McKenzie, whoever it is, they got to make tough decisions on, hey, we want this guy. We can't afford to give him that money. We need that money for some other players. 
And really the decision behind the scenes at that time, if you recall, is that the Raiders wanted to get three or four or five players for Khalil Mack. And if you look at some of the players that came through the trade, including Josh Jacobs, the players who are no longer in the league, let alone, you know, it was a tough, tough decision, man. That was not an easy decision, but I wish he would have stayed. I really thought the world of Khalil Mack, and I think the world of him now. And I don't wish him well with the Chargers. I do not root for Khalil Mack. I think he's a good human being, and after his career is over, he will be a part of the Raiders. Once a Raider, always a Raider. He'll be invited back for alumni dinners and all that, and I think he's going to really care about that because I know the Raiders treat their players a lot better than the Chargers, a lot better, especially when they become alumni. All right, that's where we stand right now. Uh, Pete Futak, we've been chasing him from College Football News. He's going to join us next. Plus what Reggie Jackson told me just a couple hours ago on potentially buying into the Oakland A's and what they told them. That's going to go viral, I can promise you. I can promise you that. All coming up here as we are brought to you by Grimaldi's, the best pizza I've ever had. Reggie Kinlaw, we have him on the first team, all-time Raider defensive line. What do you think of that? Reggie will join us tomorrow at 12.30. Pete Futek, finally in a minute or two, we'll get to him, and we're looking towards the linebackers now. Rest of the show today, we'll touch on the Raiders' all-time linebackers. We'll spend most of the show tomorrow opening up the phones. I will rattle the cage, get everybody going, and we'll put that list together, and that'll be Thursday. Then Friday, we got my Reggie Jackson exclusive interview. We'll do that. And then Monday, we're going to go to the secondary. So we're going to go to the secondary or, depending on Bobby's mood, running backs and fullbacks. So we got to have running backs, which are halfbacks, along with fullbacks. In one category, complex, very complex. Who was a running back? Who's a fullback? Where do you put Pete Banaszak, Marv Hubbard, Bo Jackson? Josh Jacobs, that, that group is a pretty big group. Marcus Allen, for obvious reasons, as we know, really good players there. And the impact guys, uh, guys, Clem Daniels, Clem Daniels. Wow, there's some good running backs and halfbacks. We'll get to that. Snow Raider is in Tahoe. Love to be in Tahoe today and out of this heat. How are you? Hey, thanks, Bobby. Thanks, JT. Yeah, weather's beautiful right now. Um Real quick on the linebackers, it's got to be 10 Hedricks for me. Mm-hmm. As a kid, seeing him sack Bob Avellini at Soldier Field, was, it's still on the highlight films. And just, just his character and the way he played and the difference he made, that, that's always going to be my number one. I um, also want to drop in, uh, I'm a Northwestern alumni, so I'm looking forward to this next phone call to see what's going on with that situation. But uh, mm. 
I appreciate you spreading the love on all the sportsy stuff for everybody. Yep. And uh, I'm going to be in Summerlin at the end of the month, beginning of August. We're going to get those cold medallas going. I sure. think I just got some Aces tickets, so I'm looking psyched and uh, looking forward to uh, being in Vegas uh, in your hometown. Thank you, brother. Hope to see you. Thanks for the call. And, uh, you know, being here in Vegas with Summer League, the Aces, the Aces are unbeatable. And everything that's happened, it's just really hot here, man. you got to be used to the heat. you got to be used to the heat. My buddy Pete Futek. All right, we were able to track him down. College Football News, collegefootballnews.com on the news surrounding Pat Fitzgerald and him being fired by Northwestern. Pete, thanks for joining us. Late notice. I appreciate you jumping on with us. And tell us overall on why this happened so quickly. Doesn't sound good, does it? Uh, Look, what jumps out to me right out of the gate was kind of like just how screwed up this whole college world of sports is that I work at and do and live for. Because... If this has been going on, apparently, allegedly, I'm going to say, for a long time, and this is not just, oh, it just happened two weeks ago. This is like a six-month private investigation. After that, there are more uh, talks. And then finally, someone else came out and anonymously said, well, this is what happened to me and all that, and kind of detailed it. And then like any other... Like you have to remember, these college, especially college football more than college basketball, there are so many people involved. So then you get the side being like, I had no idea that wasn't never happened. I never saw this when I was at Northwestern. Well, that's possible. If this stuff happened, you could be, you know, there's 120 different players who are milling about at any one time. You you might not have been a part of it. Doesn't mean it didn't happen necessarily. And just the whole thing is just so messed up that it took this long for this to come out, assuming that they did fire for cause and this is all true and all that, it, it's, it should not have taken longer than this for something like that. For It's a game. All football is is a game, and it's played at a school. So it should have been a little faster than this. Pete Butek's our guest. You know, Pete, I'm not saying it doesn't happen anywhere else. It could be happening at a lot of other programs, but you know, you go back to the junction boys, you know, the history of the sport where players would denied water and they'd have to run in the heat. And I'm talking about real type of physical hazing that could have killed players back in the fifties, sixties and seventies and the intensity and language at that time. Now we live in a world of social media where news travels really fast. And what I thought it was unique about this story is you go from a two week suspension to a quick firing. So do you think the heat at Northwestern came from the top where they felt the pressure and more and more insiders and individuals like yourself talking about it where they just don't want this? They they were fine having their coach back after a two-week suspension. They want to win, but then Uh, the heat just got too hot in the kitchen. Well, you went to the the, do they want to win part. Like, I am cynical enough to think that had Northwestern gone 9-3 and last year, I mm-hmm. maybe this is different right now, but as is their team was awful last year. But apparently, this all contributed all the controversy contributed to a culture which did force things to sort of go off the rails a little bit. At least that's what's being alleged by some of these uh, people who are speaking up. Uh, but no, you go back to yeah, so you don't want to start going down that road. But well, go, this kind of thing happens everywhere. Well, not really, no, and. Speak up if it does, because it's not right. It wasn't right when the Junction Boys were doing it. Guys were passing out and 
having heat stroke and things. And, like, mm. it's not right now. So to your other p- overall point, though, you're right. In a world of social media, in a world where any one player can come out and say things, if something goes wrong or if there's something untoward happening, it's going to come out fast. And you can, you've got to know this as a head coach now that you've got to be in control of these sorts of things. And you've got to be able to be in a situation where you're like, look, if something happens, you got to come to me right away on all this or somebody have some sort of system where this is not going to happen. So it's not something that, you know, if, so, if there is an incident, and there's always an incident with every team and every group of you know, people anywhere, where it just gets handled like any sort of business where you do have a human resources department where you can get someone to figure this out. But, uh, yeah, it, it, but in this one case, it does not look like it was okay. And my guess was, again, we're talking about a place in Northwestern that, of course, you know, they want to win sports and stuff, but it's a college. It's a university. It's much more than just a football program there. Pete Futek joins us, great college football insider. In the ESPN column, one of the practices called running, which involved the younger player being restrained. And I'm not going to get into the full details, depending on who's listening here. It happened around Thanksgiving and Christmas traditionally here. So when I see what happens here, and we use the word sexualized, which has to go with this type of hazing, I'm just amazed at what coaches knew. Like if I'm Pat Fitzgerald and I didn't know, then you're going to get fired because you didn't know. And people are like, what do you mean you don't know? This is a big deal. Everybody knows. Or the coaches underneath. Pete, what's the job of the running back coach and the receiver coach or the linebacker coach to see this happen in a locker room and immediately report it to the head coach? Oh, exactly. And, like, there's so many different problems with that. I, I'm not cutting anybody a break or some slack here. And this was kind of the, the, the thing during out the whole Penn State nightmare. And I was like, well, how do they not know? How do they do this? How do they do that? To know a college football head coach is to know that while we all, they're geniuses, you know, no, they're not. These are people, the most myopic people on the planet. They know nothing about anything else that goes on in the outside world. And they don't know anything that goes outside of their scripted daily routine because they are just that regimented when it comes to these sorts of things. So I'm not saying that Pat Fitzgerald didn't know. I'm not saying that he should, you know, shouldn't know. But it, it, it doesn't it, – it almost like it doesn't compute. It, it's, again, I'm not making an excuse or anything, but to understand how these guys operate, it's just not one of those things where it's like it's so, okay, well, that happened. Oh, boys will be boys. Okay, they're comfortable. They just don't – they don't think like that. They should. And not all of them can would hear these things and hear what happened and not put a stop to it right away. Uh, but it's just a different sort of thing. And just, it's just, like you said, the things have been detailed and there's other stuff that's coming out too. It's just, hazing's not okay. It, it just isn't. Yeah. And it's not being soft. It's not being, if you're, it's hard enough being a freshman in college and then to have stuff like that, that's not toughening you up. That's not making you more of a man. That's not much, any of that, you know, kind of garbage. It's, it's wrong. And as I keep kind of saying, it's, if this, this type of thing wouldn't happen in the NFL, but the NFL is about just the sport itself. That's all it is. The mm-hmm. whole reason for the existence of the New York Giants is to play football because that's their business. The reason for Northwestern University is to be a college and university. And the whole reason for the football program at the end of the day is to be a PR arm. That is all these major college athletics are is massive PR. And if it's negative in any way, it is not serving the university because it gets lost in all this too. It's, even at the most hardened football schools, you think Alabama, 
there's a sizable chunk that doesn't know Alabama's playing football on a Saturday. It just it people go there for to learn. It's not for mm-hmm. football, and that gets lost in the whole process here. Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com, the publisher, part of the SI Media Group, as we wrap it up. So, Pete, let's say that Northwestern got it right. It took them a couple of days to dot their I's, cross their T's, and going forward on a moral high ground, they got it right. What could happen if this becomes the players are loyal to Fitzgerald, they all jump in the portal, they got to go out. Like, What type of coach do they need if this program starts to hemorrhage now players leave other players go i just don't want to go near them now because i just don't want to be a freshman there i don't want to go there i'm i live in the big 10 region or that part of chicago i'd rather go to illinois or michigan if i can get in what could hurt this program going forward because i want them to get it right what you said about hazing and protecting these student athletes that's number one but what's the university now have to worry about with their football program which is pretty damn good well, in general, well, let me put my football guy hat on now. Like, first of all, after things happen like this, usually it's locked out harder, where it's like, well, that's not going to happen again. You know, that's, we, there's a different culture, there's a different way of doing things, because they will change to make sure that these things, type of things will not happen, and it's more locked down by whoever the next head coach is. But to, to turn this in all football terms, I was at Wisconsin when Barry Alvarez first started, and I, I was there, and I saw this firsthand, and he's like, we're going to win here at Wisconsin. None of y'all going to be here when we do, but we're going to win here at Wisconsin. Same thing in Northwestern. All right, if you want to leave, hey, we might win. We won one game last year. We're going to be. We're not going to be any worse at football than we were last season. So good luck. And Northwestern again. It's, Northwestern's a different animal when it comes to recruiting because you can't just get the average, you know, football player. You need a brilliant person who has to go there. Someone who is. You know, maybe not four zero will get you in, but if you're, you got to be three nine ish, at the very least, mm-hmm. and very good to be a part of the uh, the team. So you have to have someone who is one of the elite of the elite students and likes to go to Northwestern. That's a tough recruiting base to go for. Go for, but yeah, if, if yeah, if they want to leave, if some of these guys want to leave, fine. Or they might just say, okay, we're gonna we're here at Northwestern, and look at the end of the day, if you're smart enough to go to Northwestern football play football you're smart enough to know that you're at northwestern which is one of the best academic universities in the world and you're there for more than just to go block and tackle pete last one art briles at baylor joe paterno penn state now pat fitzgerald i'm just used to scandals i've been interviewing you for years i mean it seems like every three to four years there's a scandal there's recruiting or there's there's always a scandal yeah i'm not going to put fitzgerald in that i mean that because remember there's also a difference between scandals that you know, at the moment, nothing illegal actually seemed like it happened. Nothing that was going to get anybody mm-hmm. arrested. You know, so there's a difference between, you know, NCAA scandal, like, oh, my gosh, did Cam Newton accept 200000 Did Johnny Manziel sign a bunch of football? You know, there's the silly sort of scandal that's not really a scandal or, you know, tattoo gate at Ohio State, which is ridiculous. And then there's the scandals that involve, you know, criminal behavior, which have nothing to do with sports and everything to do with the law and all that. And then there's, you know, something like this, which is just a, a blight on the university and embarrassment with them, at least at the moment. And so I'm not going to put Fitzgerald there when it comes to Bryles and Paterno and, and Brandon is this guy who, you know, well, that's it for him for forever. Because uh, this, it, it, as alleged so far, does not come close to rising up to Baylor and Penn State. 
Thank you, Pete. Uh, always good to catch you. I wish he was on better terms with the storyline, but we'll get into yeah, college we'll get football there. in the we're rankings. Two weeks away. We're yeah. two weeks away. We'll get there. <laughs> we will. Thank you, Pete Fudek, checking in today. Good to have him. He's he's really good because he's got good information, and he's one of those guys who always says, don't worry about it. It's not the end of the world. And the update now, since we've been talking to him, Northwestern football is going to keep the assistance. How the hell is that going to work? They're going to keep their assistant coaches. They fired the head coach. These coaches didn't know there was hazing going on. How the hell are you going to keep the assistants? How are you going to keep the assistant coaches when the head coach just got fired for hazing allegations, which he had nothing to do with? He didn't put his hands on anybody. The assistant coaches should have known more than the head coach. The assistant coaches are talking one-on-one with these groups and should have said, hey, coach, uh, by the way, that hazing thing in the locker room is getting a little out of control. So there's just a whole bunch of people lying here. The athletic director, uh, Derek Gregg, returned uh, earlier today from an overseas trip. He informed the coaches and staffs of their status, and he's going to meet with them even later on today. But we'll see how it plays out. There's a lot of new assistants who joined the team in the offseason, and they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do. But I don't know how you can keep that locker room together with the players who are coming back, the coaches coming back, and what they're doing, the president of the team. Just whack the head coach, and you think the assistants who all got hired because of the head coach are worthy of taking over? That doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense to me. Maybe it does to you. All-star game is tonight. I thought the home run derby was fantastic. This kid, Rodriguez, Julio Rodriguez, hit 41 homers. He plays for the Mariners in the first round. This was amazing. Rodriguez, 40. Ten seconds remaining for Rodriguez, who's putting on an absolute show. Left center, pulled that one on the ground, and he's done. 41 home runs. Julio Rodriguez, who flexes now at home play. So That was good. That's Roxy Bernstein, who our buddy Roxy Bernstein on the call. 41 there, but it turned out that Vlad Guerrero Jr. ended up winning it. He eliminated Pete Alonzo. That was Rodriguez two years in a row. Guerrero who's won in the past. What a performance he had, especially on the road. It was a Rodriguez event to win, and Guerrero won it. Ten seconds for Guerrero. Gets the bat head out, and he sends it out to left center. 24, five seconds for Guerrero. And one last swing, and he hooks it to left. 25 for Vlad Jr. That is the total for Randy Rosarena to beat. That's Roxy Bernstein on ESPN Radio. On the call, I thought that was an excellent home run derby. When it started, I was I was live on the air last night before it started. One of my topics was, has this jumped the shark? Is anybody interested in this? There's no Bryce Harper. You, know, you don't have Aaron Judge. Who are the guys? And this was awesome. The ball was flying out. The only criticism that people have of it now is that you don't get a chance to see the home run anymore because they're swinging for the next home run immediately. Does that make sense? So you, you throw a pitch, a guy hits a upper deck shot. And by the time the ball lands, by the time the ball lands in the upper deck, the next home run is in progress. So you don't get a chance to kind of enjoy it. It seems like more of a race with the pitch clock there. But I watched it last night with my son. My son was glued to it. I didn't know all the players there really well. And I'm a sports talk host. I tuned in, and I thought it was fantastic. So home run derby, is, uh, it was last night. The all-star game is tonight. I'll obviously be watching. I'm a Yankee fan. Garrett Cole will get the start in the American League, and everybody's there to see what Otani's going to do, not as a pitcher, but as a hitter. Thanks again to Pete Feudtech. 
One more time when we come back, the Raiders' all-time defensive line, and we pivot, pivot, we'll pivot over to the linebackers, and that'll be tomorrow as we kick off the show. I greatly appreciate everybody's involvement with this, really do, including meetupvegas.com. Get the meat hookup that I got for you, meetupvegas.com. Takes the snap. Pressure comes. Hit. Ball's out. Quinn knocked it out. Scooped up by Matt. There he goes at the 30. Gives the ball up to Eddie Jackson to the 40. And Jackson is pulled down shy of the 45-yard line. Threw in a Khalil Mack, a bite that Bobby found because Khalil Mack will be under discussion on the Raiders' all-time team when it comes to linebacker. And I know some people said edge rusher. You know, Ted Hendricks was a linebacker, and he rushed the passer as good as anybody who's ever played, <laughs> coming off the edge and coverage and all that. So we're on to the linebackers, and we'll have more of that tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's show is going to fly by as we go through the linebackers. We're looking for eight, so put it up via Twitter, at JT the Brick. So I've had a real busy day today in a good way. So uh, Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson called me this morning, really yesterday, but confirmed today. And I did 45 minutes with him at around 10 in the morning. And this is going to air on Friday. It's going to air on my Mad Dog show and some other things that I'm going to do. We're going to cut it up for some sound bites. And uh, I asked Reggie about what's going on with the Oakland A's or Reggie wanting to own a team. This is Reggie Jackson, who's wanted to own a team since the 80s and 90s. Listen to this. Appreciate you sharing that with us as we wrap it up here. I thought, I recall you were going to be, you're trying to buy a team. It was either the Dodgers or the Athletics back in the day. And I think of diversity issues now with Major League Baseball and where Major League Baseball wants to go with the African-American young player and just, you know, just the fight for diversity overall. What happened there? Because I thought you would have been a fantastic owner, especially from a business perspective and your great baseball knowledge and play. Well, it, it, it really was a sad situation with Oakland because I was high bidder um, for the A's to the Hoffman family, $25 million more than any other bona fide bid. In writing, um, in, in December of 2004, um, but, uh, Bud went out and got, uh, one of his friends and then got connected with the Fisher family to put up the money and just never presented my offer. Uh, the trade for the A's financially, I call it a trade, um, was a hundred million in cash and 40 million of accepted debt. Um, and we had outbid that by 25 million, but it never got in front of the Hoffman's. Um, you know, Bud never presented it. He he told me he would, and he didn't. Um, and so, uh, it it was just a tragedy, just just a just a terrible thing. Um, uh, for me, uh, I had a similar opportunity with the Dodgers. Um, you know, some people that didn't think that really happened, but I did have a, a conversation with Peter O'Malley with John McCaw. His family was uh cellular one uh, owners and sold that way back in the eighties. Um, they had Paul Allen. We also had Paul Allen and Bill Gates involved. Wow. And at the time, not only the Dodgers, but we could have bought the national league. 
Reggie could have bought the National League with Paul Allen and Bill Gates. I mean, this is this is unique content from Reggie Jackson, and we'll have more of that on Friday when he talked about this edition of the Oakland A's and Vegas and what he thinks about that. So, uh, very good day today. I feel very fulfilled as it's two o'clock and we had a full day. Man, it feels like we've been up early prepping for the Reggie interview and then doing our deal, trying to announce the defensive tackles and defensive ends and move on to the linebackers, man. I got my sleeves rolled up, man. It's summertime radio. I didn't want to give you cheeseburgers and movies. I didn't want to give you, you know, ridiculous list of your all-time favorite, you know, Vegas highlight moments and ranking the casinos. We want to give you some sports and have some fun with it. Reggie Kinlaw tomorrow. Working on a Raider linebacker, too. Busy show the rest of the week. Thanks to Bobby, who's getting all this sound, digging up all these archives, and everybody else who's participating with me. I'm getting in the pool, and I will have a Modelo, my proud partner. Not a bucket of Modellos, but an ice-cold Modelo as I jump in the pool and enjoy the rest of this hot day. I hope you enjoy it, too.